Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have an honor guest, a friend, a mentor, and a veteran that comes here and bless us with this ease of view, but also with his kind voice, with his pace and calmness, despite the storm that is typical from our industry. Gary Hayslip is on the show. Gary, thank you so much for coming. Do you want to give our audience a little bit of background about yourself? Um, well, I mean, you know, currently I'm the, uh, I'm the CISO for SoftBank you know, Investment Advisors. Like I said, I've worked in multiple different fields as a CISO. I've been a CIO. I've, I've done everything from privacy to audit, to, uh, you know, been a network architect, done a little bit of everything. I mean, that's one thing is uh, I find technology fascinating. And I'm still curious, you know, to this day, you know, 20 years in, you know, I'm still a kid, you know, and I, I love, uh, I love technology. And I love that fact. And uh, so how do you, how do you keep balance between going in the rabbit hole of technology versus, you know, being an exec and taking care of the business part, the risk part, or, or keeping at pace with the other C-suite? How do you balance that aspect? You know, that's that's actually a good question because, you know, I, I actually spend a lot of my time, you know, reading, researching. Um, I spend a lot of my time uh, investigating, you know, issues, being involved in the community, you know, in, in our community as a whole, and also working a lot with, uh, with fellow CISOs and, you know, mentoring and collaborating with each other. It lets me see issues that they're seeing that I might have a problem with. Or it, um, if I'm investigating something, they may have a fix because they've already dealt with that a year ago. You know, so yeah, it's you know I have to admit, I mean, you know, as as a CISO working in this uh, community in cybersecurity, it's something that you know you will not know everything. You mm-hmm. will not you know be able to have answers to everything. You know, you're going to have to to be effective. You definitely have to be involved. You definitely have to have a network. You have to you know, have people that you can reach out to that you can ask for help, you know, and, and be willing to just, you know, and be willing to accept that help and definitely give it when people ask you. No, that's, that's absolutely critical. And I think you touch a point because it's, it's a lot of effort to be involved in the community. Uh, as you know, I'm a massive supporter of being involved, mentoring, and uh, especially with minorities because they don't have the same airtime of uh, a lot of us. So I'm, I'm really keen on, on giving that back and giving back. But it, it takes a lot of time. So how do you balance in, in giving back versus uh, what you, your job demands? 
and what your family demands because <laughs> it's yeah. always you're going to starve something at, at a certain point, right? Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I've been talking a lot about recently, you know, the self-care piece at the moment because of the fact that we're at home mm-hmm. doing this whole working from anywhere or working from home piece, you know, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure no one thought we were going to be, you know, four months in and not see a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, you know, we're going to be doing this for quite a while mm-hmm. and um, that kind of wears on you. And if you're a, uh, if you're a leader, if you're in charge of a team, you've got these other people that you have a responsibility to, and you're also worried about them. And, and, at, and as you just said, at the same time, you know, you, um, if you're working from home, you got your family, you got your children, you've got people around you that you need to also spend time with. What, I, what I'm finding now is I find, you know, during my work day, I'll actually make sure I schedule breaks just to get up mm-hmm. and go walk around, go walk outside. My wife and I have started walking around the block or walking you know, nice. just, you know, through our neighborhood now, you know, just so I can take a break before I get back on. Because if you're working 10, 15 hour days, you have to have, you know, because I'm, I'm finding that, you know, when working from home, you tend to work longer. You yeah. don't shut off. You don't have that, that break between work and home because it's all one place now. You know, so you have to go ahead and, and kind of schedule that in. I mean, you know, we, you know, for my family, because I've got two sons that have graduated college and they're both working from home right now upstairs. You know, they, uh, you know, uh, it, which is, so it's kind of funny. So there's several of us in this house who are working from home at the moment. And so we started doing like, you know, Friday evenings, everything shut down and we're doing family board games. You know, we'll order some pizza oh, around the table and we spend, you know, a couple hours together, whether it's playing Uno. And believe me, my sons and my wife cheat at it because I haven't won yet. Um, or we play, you know, sorry, or we're playing some kind of, you know, game where we as a family come together and we talk smack and just have fun hanging out with each other. And, you know, because the week's been busy, but Friday, you know, we, we get a chance to catch up and, you know, and, and stuff like that. Just trying to schedule things like that to let, you know, to, to reduce some of that stress, to give some time back to your family, to try to, you know, do something other than just work, which just seems mm-hmm. to be ongoing, you know, and yeah. not something. Yeah. And, and funny you say, because I start, I really pick back up uh, Uno Duo, that they, apparently is another version of Uno. <laughs> and few of the board games uh, during Corona, because I want to share times with um, people that, that I love. And it, it, I think it's really key what you just said, because there is no boundaries between your home life and your work life. Now it's all merged into one and uh, we're getting used to this new norm, I think. Uh, it's not just two months, three months, it's just yeah. the pause, but it might be forever. I mean, Google and Facebook and Twitter have mentioned that this is going to be the new norm. Uh, Google will say, work from anywhere you want and till next year. And it's interesting. It's really interesting how this Corona uh, will affect us in the long run. And actually, oh, yeah. how, how, how do you think it's going to affect the business where you are in the long run? Well, I mean, you know, for us, like, like my company, we were 100% cloud. You know, we're pretty much, you know, fully cloud. And so for us, it was, you know, take your laptop, take your phone, go home. As long as you got internet, you just keep working. It did change some things, though. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of uh, wrapping up a full zero trust project and, you know, and, and building a lot of stuff out. And, I mean, you know, the even if you are a, a company that's 100% cloud, you still got to do security. Your, your security is going to be a little different. You know, yeah. um, you know, some policies change. 
you know, having employees at home, you know, um, has made me start thinking about, okay, how are we going to handle incident response when networks are in people's living room? You know, how are we going to, you know, you start thinking these things, you start thinking about, you know, access to data, you start thinking about, you know, these home networks, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got corporate endpoints that I control that I can push, you know, patch management to and, you know, endpoint security and everything else to, but the network that they're on at home, I don't control, you know, and so you kind of think of it as, you know, a, um, you know, almost like a fort in a hostile territory environment you know, yeah. yeah you know and so you're you know like you know and so you you, know, you want visibility into that you want some type of you know control but you're always going to have you know stuff that you're just going to have to go ahead and accept and most of us systems are extremely paranoid so we're like <laughs> you know, no we don't want that you know we'd rather have you know, we'd rather have a lot more visibility and so i you know i think there's going to be things like everything from vpn to, to a really good iam policy you know, and technology and platform and project. I mean, all of these things that we're, you know, we're building out so that I can better understand where my data is at, who's accessing it, why they're mm-hmm. accessing it, so that I can actually prove to auditors that we have control of that whole life cycle, you know, and that I can actually show that, yeah, we know who our users are when they, you know, when they join, when they leave. And it's like, you know, I think it's even become even more important now when they're not on print, they're not in the building, yeah. you don't see them every day. You know, how do I know for sure that that person that's accessing that laptop is someone that's an employee? You know, well, they have to have some type of token. They have to have some type of two-factor. They've got to be doing, you know, saying you've got to have multiple ways to be able to verify who they are, to be able to verify that the asset they're on is our asset, not yeah. you know, a personal one, you know, because uh, you want to make sure that that data they're accessing stays you know, within our you know, within our bucket, within our, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, I definitely think it's, you know, it's changed things because, you know, and there are companies that have people that are still in the office that are still, you know, on-prem, but they also have a portion of the company that's now, you know, working from home. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's hybrid like that or whether it's fully everybody's working from anywhere and, you know, they're just not, you know, in, in you know, in the building anymore. Yeah, I think this is going to be the new norm for at least the next 12 to 18 months. And even then, as this sorts out, say they go ahead and they come up with, you know, a cure or something to be able to, to alleviate COVID, you know, and, and end the pandemic, I still think there's going to be some type of impact now to business. You know, a lot of yeah. businesses have been running without having people in their buildings, you know, without having people on-prem in their, these campuses that they're spending a lot of money for. I definitely think there's going to be a big change. Yeah, it's all of a sudden, as you said, is the realization that working from home and distributed is actually cheaper and maybe more effective sometimes. Sometimes it's not because I still believe that the power of a whiteboard and workshop is great. But also, I've always suffered on on virtual whiteboard. I always say, why don't we have a a virtual whiteboard or or a video conferencing system that works? And now this thing actually... COVID-driven enormously, the technology change. But then circling back maybe on the topic of uh, the network and the zero trust, are you foreseeing maybe that a lot of CISOs will not sign off on the risk of home network and are going to start shipping network device at homes as a risk mitigation, like an extension of the office? Or (laughs) I want to control my network because I could have a hostile on my neighbor network that is in my same building. 
It's like in a shared environment with three or four people working for three companies in one same network. You know, the problem you run into is that most of us don't want to be in the hardware business. You know, I, I don't want to track assets. I mean, believe me, if, if I could do BYOD to where, you know, hey, you can do your own laptop, but it has to be at this level. It has to be, you know, at least this type of laptop and at least this level of patching has to have mm-hmm. these types of endpoint security. And if you go ahead and meet that level, well, then your device can authenticate and then you yourself can authenticate. If, if, if there's ways I could get out of the hardware business, I'd be happy with that. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would not want to be one trying to track a whole bunch of routers that I put out <laughs> people's home. You know, I've, I've got enough issues with uh, with cell phones and laptops. That's what I'm saying is that I would much rather go ahead and have a laptop that I control and enforce two-factor and enforce VPN, you know, other policies. And, and then... You know, there's always going to be some risk. You know, so you, you basically try to take a look at what you control, what kind of risk you're willing to accept. And, you know, I find that the more you start talking about hardware that you got to ship out to employees, mm-hmm. and especially if you've got thousands of employees, uh, the more that you start getting pushback. Because now this is crap that you've got to, you know, and I, and I say that literally, this is crap that you've got to go ahead and track, you know, that you've got to go ahead and, and manage inventory of. That, yeah, that you got to keep updated. That you got to, you know, it's just. Um, I mean, you've just added a whole ton of uh, stuff to your patch management program. You know, you it becomes a logistic. You yeah. can repurpose a whole side of the department to just handle logistic of laptop oh, yeah. shipped oh, in yeah. and out. <laughs> yeah, and so, and that's honestly, and I think that's what has pushed a lot of uh, people to look more towards BYOD. Hey, we're going to go ahead and we're going to put zero trust in have a full robust IAM project and we're going to use VPN and we're going to use different technologies like that and go full SaaS to where mm-hmm. everything that we're doing is up in the cloud and then we're going to go and do BYOD because they're just trying to get out of that business of owning data centers and owning you know servers that they got to have people go in and manage and maintain you know and you know and so I mean I definitely see shifts a lot more towards that. No, and and I agree. I've seen we've seen an, uh, with the Cloud Security Alliance, we see a massive interest and peak in organization asking, but also the danger of just you know shifting all all together in the cloud with a VPN yeah. broker access or this patchwork solution that are driven by the need of not being in an office because you don't have a VPN concentrator that can handle out of the blue the whole organization on VPN. Yeah. So we've seen we've seen probably. Three years worth of digital transformation compressed in three months. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and then in fact, I mean, there are several of my, there are several of our peers that I've spoken with who've had to heavy lift, you know, some significant projects that they were planning to do over a six to twelve month period, and they had to compress them into these last four months, you know, and uh, and they're getting stuff done. But you and I both know that you take complicated projects like that and you escalate them fast, you know, you're going to miss things. You're going, you're going to, to cut corners. Issues. You know, you're going to have issues that you're going to be basically fires that you're going to be putting out for the next six to 12 months. Because even though you compress it in that timeline, the only way I've ever seen that done extremely well is with a lot of people and a lot of money. <laughs> you know? and, in a, and in a room, probably just yeah, all together in a room. Is, you know, you don't do a massive projects like that in a compressed time frame remotely, you know, and not miss things. It's, yeah, no, I. I, I absolutely agree. 
No, I absolutely agree. But uh, circling back, you made a really good point on identity, on multi-factor, on how important is that. But I want to challenge you a little bit. And with the ransomware coming through, uh, a pure secure laptop effectively or uh, a pure secure workstation with maybe a VPN access and an identity could potentially become a spearhead to an attacker that sends a malicious, uh, maybe not ransomware, but uh, social engineering and somebody delivering a malicious malicious something over email. So how do you risk and control that? And maybe how do you lean effectively on the identity instead of just doing multi-factor, doing profiling and things like that? Well, the thing is that you, know, you, you do the identity piece, but you also, not just for the person, but you also do it for the asset. You also do it for the device. You know, the device has to authenticate itself, you know, also. So you know both. You've also got security tools on the endpoint itself that are scanning for malware that are scanning for you know uh, and not just you know not just like edr or antivirus you know you may have you know you also have tools on there for what they call the insider threat tools Mm -hmm. they're watching to go ahead and see if a machine or if a user starts accessing data or starts getting into things that they've never done before that's going to go ahead and set alert you know because you're going to monitor for that as well you know, you're going to go ahead and, um, and again, I mean, you know, the, and then you're doing the, the same, you know, the basic cyber hygiene stuff itself is that, you know, you're doing backups, you're, you know, you're breaking up the network and everything and configuring people, you know, in sites and, you know, uh, and splitting, you know, groups and, and data in the certain, mm-hmm. because, you know, you're expecting, like for me, I expect that, you know, we're going to have breaches. Breaches are part of, you know, the, the security life cycle that I talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, they do happen. You have to put controls in place to expect that. You have to train your teams to it to where they have the muscle memory of, okay, this is how we respond. This is who we contact. This is what we isolate. You know, this is what data we need to pull. It's, um, it's just, you know, it's part of that process. So for me, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a continuous thing. I, I get people asked about, I get people, especially on the executive side, who ask about this that, you know, uh, okay, well, we've given you this much money and you bought this tool or you bought this platform, so we're all done, right? No. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's know? technology for get people in process. That, that yeah, doesn't and, count, and right? It's like, you know, you, you kind of like, you know, uh, and then you kind of realize, okay, they're seeing the, you know, the CapEx, you know, piece, the expenditure going for, you know, for purchasing something, a software license or a piece of hardware but they're not understanding the people and the policies and procedures that are in place or the fact that, you know, Hey, these procedures are done daily. These procedures, mm-hmm. there's things that are, there's, there's a whole continuous process of monitoring and remediation and, you know, management and dealing with Jira tickets every day and, and talking with employees and fixing things. And you've got to factor all of that into it. Also, I'm a big fan of, you know, multiple layers of security controls. You know, I'm a big fan of understanding the business and the business units and what they do and what software is important to them and what data is important to them and what vendors, what partners they need to go ahead and be successful and help the company make money or help the company, you know, if they're a nonprofit, be able to provide services. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once I know that, then I'm looking at my security program and I'm trying to understand, okay, where am I interfering? Where am I impacting? Are we providing a service or are we getting in the way? How can we compromise and meet in the middle? You know, and all of this, 
is that process, as you were talking about dealing with ransomware, you got to have all of these pieces in place, you yeah. know, because ransomware is going to happen, you know, and if it does, you don't want to lose the whole network. If I lose a site or if I lose a group of machines, that sucks, you know, especially. But this is contained. Yeah, but, it, but contained. it's contained, you know, and then the issue is, is as you're, when you're doing cleanup is you, your team, your stakeholders, you get together, you triage, you have the meetings afterwards, the after action meetings to look at what happened, what causes, what can we do better? Because it's a continuous process, you mm -hmm. know, and it's and it's that it's it's not being afraid to have you know those discussions. I agree. I absolutely agree. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor, and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. But also, you mentioned muscle memory for your incident response team and your effective tactical team. How does the muscle memory now operate in, in an environment where the SOC is not in a, in a central location anymore, it's distributed? How did COVID change effective incident response for you? I think, you know, the, the big thing for us was, you know, we, when we went ahead and we had all of our employees at home, it was kind of funny as a story for you. We had all of our employees at home. One of the first things we wanted to go ahead and see was just, you know, was everybody, you know, was work getting done. We wanted to kind of see, you know, the difference, you know, and we, so we were pulling reports and we're looking at, you know, how many Zoom meetings do we have? How many Slack you know, conversations are going on. And we're pulling all these different things just to go ahead and see, you know, how how much work is being done. And what we noticed was there really wasn't that much of a drop. -off. You know, it was actually almost about the same. But you right. know, some of the other things that we saw was, uh, hey, I'm seeing a lot of Netflix. Hey, I'm seeing a lot. Of, <laughs> I'm seeing YouTube a lot, you know. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, whether it's, you know, business related or not, I don't know. And I honestly don't care. I'm not going to. You know, I, you know, my thing is, is work getting done. People are hitting meetings. You know, we're taking care of customers. But, you know, you start seeing differences in the way the network's used because you're at home. You know, mm -hmm. and so you work differently at home than you do, you know, when you're at work. I think that's pretty much a given. You know, you've got your pets running around. You've got kids running in in the middle of meetings and they're running back out. You know, you've got kids that are in school on the other side of you, you know, who are also in Zoom meetings or, or doing, you know, whatever your wife or your husband comes in and asks for something or, or needs help with something. It just, it is what it is. I mean, you, you work differently. And so for us, it's like, we started looking at, okay, if we've got people that are dispersed like that and we have an incident and I need people to respond, you know, mm -hmm. are, are people monitoring Slack when they should be? Are people, you know, checking their email when they should be, you know, while they're in the middle of a conversation with their spouse or something? You know, and so we realized, okay, we needed to go ahead and set up alerts. We needed to set up 
some type of text messaging. We needed to set, you know, we had to put other things in place to make sure that we had coverage, to make sure that you know people did check things. What it also showed, you know, us was the the different types of devices that people are using. We ended up purchasing a couple of other technology that we integrated into our our SIM solution. And then we found that in our SIM solution, we were like, okay, if we start seeing these things for these platforms, you know, kick off this pager duty alert or kick off this, you know, message. Also flag. behavioral. Yeah. So behavioral so, yeah. That's really interesting. So we were figuring things like that to go ahead and give us an alert to come take a look. Because that, okay, you may be dealing with your eight-year-old, but then your phone or, you know, you got your phone connected to your watch, it vibrates and you look down and you got a text message. Oh, let me go take a look at that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying is so you're, you know, stuff like that. We started kind of factoring that in just because we're at home. It's a different environment. And then it's just, you know, it's stuff like that. And then from that, we started thinking of, okay, what else can we add? And that part of the, that part of the project is still ongoing. You know, okay. and I'm finding it's really interesting. I mean, we're talking with other departments who do meetings with a lot of different third parties and vendors. And we're asking them, you know, you know, especially on, on our, our SIM, we, we, we use Simologic and we're, and we're building out dashboards. And so we're asking them business use cases. What kind of things do they want to, are they interested in? Mm-hmm. That, that they want to be able to track behaviorally over time. Or, you know, and it's, you know, and, and I have to find, I have to, I have to admit, I mean, you know, some of the stuff, you know, that finance is doing or compliance is doing, I think it's really cool, you know. And, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, one of my sons is a data science analyst. So he's all into data. And I find a lot of times I'm kind of like him. I'm this young kid. And I'm just really cool seeing what people are doing. You know, you may start with security, but you find all these other things that we can we can do because, again, we're operating differently. The environment that we're in now is different. Yeah, and and as you just said, instead of seeing cyber as a cost, it becomes an enabler for the rest of the organization because you start serving other part because we've done this analytics part, but we can repurpose some of the dashboard, some of the engine or the business logic for other for other processes or for other business unit. Now, I, I like the idea. And you've seen that picking up or you've seen a lot of success factor or it will be just a point in time and then people don't engage? Well, I mean, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's picking up for, like, for us. I think, I think, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of doing it pretty cool, but it's like, I mean, I have to admit when I talk with other systems, everyone's having discussions about projects. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding is a lot of us are, are trying to figure out projects that are enabling the business while we're in this type of, of, of environment a mode. And, you know, and I think a lot of us are thinking this isn't just going to be a one-off. This is going to be something that, even 18 months from now, when we're hoping that we're back into, you know, some type of normality, there's mm-hmm. still going to be a part of the business that's, you know, working from anywhere. And we're still going to have to be able to provide those services. We still have to provide security. We still have to provide e-discovery and all these different types of things that, you know, for people that are working remote. And so we're discovering that now, you know, and so uh, I kind of look at I mean, I'm even going back and looking through uh, a lot of the policies that I wrote. 12 months ago, that to me is a totally different world than what we're in now, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking of things that I need to add and things that, you know, when we go ahead and we renew with our cyber insurance or when we renew with our vendor who's providing IR services, there's questions now that we're having, okay, with everybody being remote, is there other things that we should be adding to this now? Do we need to adjust SLA? 
is there other services that they have that would help us now because you know we're doing stuff that's totally unique to what we were doing 12 months ago so it's really interesting on that subject of sla and kci and kpi so I, I know you mentioned a couple of times in different podcasts uh, how critical measurement is, uh, especially for cyber, and I'm a big believer in measurement. And have you modified during this timeline completely your view on certain metrics on saying this actually metric doesn't count anymore or this specific thing counts? Any any shift in the metrics itself or they've been validated maybe? I've totally flipped everything I'm doing. <laughs> 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 I love the very political answer. No, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, well, the answer to that was, you know, the thing about this is that, uh, you know, I, I I posted up on LinkedIn, you know, about CIS and their whole project that they're doing with yeah. metrics. And I, I, I love that project and I followed what they're doing. And because what I find is that there's some really good books that people have written, you know, about metrics and being able to measure anything. But, you know, of course, a lot of us are like, you know, hey, just show me some place where I can go and I can pull down metrics and I'll decide what applies in here. That's what I, one thing I've always liked about CIS is they've got an extensive list. And not only do they show you the metric, but they also show you what the answer should be. If it's a mm-hmm. high, a medium, or low, if you've got this much of a percentage or whatever. You know, so they give you some type of a, of a contextual answer. So then you understand, okay, hey, I think these apply to me. Okay, I see what the numbers should be. Uh, let's, let's adjust it here. Okay, this will work for us, you know, and and so I I've always kind of used that as as a discussion point when I get to talking with executives and I get to talking with CIOs and stuff. That you know, hey, here's a you know here's a really good database of metrics to kind of show you different things that we're looking at. But understand, we only want to go ahead and pull ones that we're going to do something with, you know, that we're going to actually make a decision. Are we making a decision on resources and budget? Are we using this because, are we using these metrics because long-term we want to make a decision if these services are good or not, or maybe we need to make improvements on them, or, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, you're going to do something with it. Yeah, you know, the context and, and not data for the sake of data or statistic yeah, for the sake yeah. of statistic. Well, and, and that's the reason why I always talk about, you know, you're telling a value story because you are. There should be some type of value around if you're collecting numbers, you need to be doing something with it. And, and for me, if I'm going to be putting that time and resources in and collecting those type of numbers, there's a story I'm telling. You know, and usually that story is, okay, my security program, my team is providing these types of services. We're reducing this risk. This is why. This is my value to the business. You know, this is, you're wondering what am I, what am I doing with the, you know, the, you know, blah, blah, blah money that you've given me you know, in my budget, well, here I want to be able to show we're doing these projects, these services, you know, we're enabling these teams and dev to be able to do this now because we've secured the back end and we've now got, you know, security testing, you know, in the code pipeline. And we know that we've reduced the time from point A to point B by this much of a percent or this much, Mm -hmm. you know, time in hours or days. They can see that and then they understand, okay, this is what, all right, now I know what my money is paying for. It's paying for this. Like, you know, and when I was at Webroot, we knew that, you know, our e-commerce portal made so much money per hour. And that e-commerce portal had about nine different, you know, dev teams tied to it for different products that they had. And I knew from their whole agile process, you know, the timeline that it would take from an idea 
to actually getting it in production. Execution. Yeah. And so I knew what that timeline was. And so I knew when we put when we put security into that timeline and we actually had people testing code and it would have to go back through the process and everything, I knew the impact that would be. How much data might act extra or how much data it actually might reduce because now we weren't getting tickets from customers after it was already in production saying, hey, your product sucks. You know, because <laughs> we were actually fixing it before it went into production. That kind of stuff. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was those kind of things where when you understand that and you understand where your team is, you know, where your security program is part of that, you know, then you're able, to, those are the kind of metrics that I'm talking about. You can put those metrics out there and there's money tied to it. You know, they, they can actually see how you're helping the business. I love that story. I love that story. I love oh, yeah. the context. I love the context around the story. And, and I can tell a story of myself of a failure where I was actually on a similar uh, warpath on application security is really, really important. And I ended up uh, in an executive board meeting and saying, this is the amount of vulnerability we have. And I was missing the context and the story. Then the question came of, okay, so what? <laughs> yeah, we bet. So what? So how yeah. much is going to cost to fix it? Or it's what's the comparison? And I was completely blown away because I said, I missed complete the story. I have really good data, but I'm missing, okay, we're going to fix it in six months, nine months. So I went back and, and I just made a plan to actually say, well, we're here. We need to be here. This is the amount of vulnerability we need to reduce to actually be here. Or this is the categories. But I absolutely agree is the context is absolutely key. When I was assistant with the city of San Diego, we had something very similar where when I, um, you know, I needed an investment in the security program. And we mm -hmm. knew that we had 10,000 employees and we knew we were averaging so many machines a month would get infected. You know, when you get 10,000 employees, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we knew that each time a machine got infected, you know, we had a contractor that would have to go out, pull the machine, the worker would be down for several hours while the machine was re-imaged and their data was pulled from the last night's backup, and then they were given the machine back. You know, and so I figured out the cost of that, you know, and I figured out how many, you know, we were having per month on average, and it was quite significant. You know, we figured mm -hmm. out a year's worth you know, of that was a little over about 1.2 million when you figured it all wow. in, just impact in the number of hours that was lost, you know, for work and the, you know, uh, the number of hours that it took for the contractor to go do that and all, of, you know, and then what we did was we, um, you know, we had AV on the machines, but we put EDR in, we started threat hunting, we, you know, we matured our whole patch management process and we basically reduced it by close to 60%. Yeah. And so when I could show that reduction in cost, you know, that reduction in impact, and then they understood, okay, we paid this much, like 180K for these different things that you asked to purchase, and you saved us 600K. You know, and so they were like, got it. You know, you know, that's a different council, story. Yeah. City Council got that. They could see the worth in it, and we were good to go. You know, um, but it was stuff like that. You had to go ahead and provide those metrics that type of data so that they could understand what they were buying so what will be the advice that you will give to a new executive to avoid similar mistake to what it is like metrics for the sake of metrics or i mean i, I love i love the whole structure that you put in the book because it's a kind of flow around the strategy but what will be your advice in terms of mentoring in terms of how would you go about you start from a day one what would you do as a CISO or when would you pull in metrics? Where would you pull stories? 
how much do you have the feel of the business? What is the pain of the business? What will be your advice as for a CISA? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned in the book and I've mentioned it in articles and stuff I've written. Honestly, I think, you know, one of the first things you do is you meet your peers, you meet your stakeholders, you meet people in the business, the other business units, and you spend a lot of time understanding them and the company or the business and the different operations that are going on. Um, so that you, and that gives you context of where you sit in the larger story going on around you. Mm-hmm. You know, because that, the reason you want to know that is you want to know how things are interconnected. You want to know your services and what your team's doing and, you know, um, how you tie into them. You also need to know what to protect, what's important, what's critical, you know, for these different business units. You're not going to know that unless you spend time with them, you know, and, and that will influence what? Yeah. And that actually will drive the security program you build, what policies you put in place. It will drive the technologies that you have in your stack and what visibility you need. It will drive, um, you know, what compliance regulations and everything that you're under, you know, uh, because the data that you're handling that the company's dealing with. So it's like, you need that, you need that piece first because that piece is going to come so handy and the rest of the stuff that you're going to put in place to follow, you know, and a lot of it will also dictate what metrics you keep, you know, what metrics you develop, because again, Mm -hmm. the metrics aren't just going to be how good the security program is. The metrics are how you are helping your peers, how you are helping the other business units through what services or what projects or what initiatives you're doing. No, I love it. I love it. So in a, in a, in an industry like ours, that is 101% focused on technical stuff. How do we start injecting the, it's a rubbish hole that we're all going to fall yeah. because we are teach in school or at university Technology, 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 then certification, certification, certification. And when you reach a certain level of management, you are like 101% technology. And then, hold on, I'm missing the soft skill. How do I interact with my peers? Yeah. So what would be the advice that you will give to effectively people that are starting and have that uh, side? You know, the, the biggest thing I tell them is, you know, back when they're starting their education and they're starting the, that path, and they're starting to go to school and they're starting to learn about IT and everything, get active in the community then. Start joining some of the professional organizations, start building your network, start talking with peers and developing mentors because you're going to need that as you basically grow, as you go ahead, because as you finish your education and you start working on search and you start doing different things, you wanna have peers, you wanna have people that are already Mm -hmm. in the community that are already in their, you know, they're in depth into their careers in this field to be able to guide you and tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, why go blind? You know, when there are people out there that are that are more than happy to go ahead and help that have gone before you, that are writing about it, that are blogging about it, that are, you know, what I'm saying, I mean, you, know, you, you, yeah, you have, and it's free. You have people that are happy to go ahead and help. You know, and guide you. And so, yeah, and that's what I said. You know, start early. This will help you because the thing about it is, is that if you do that, you will realize early that soft skills are critically important. The more senior you get, the more you start working with team, you know, you can't work alone. You have to work with people. You know, you're going to have to be responsible with deliverables. You know, you've got to be able to provide services to customers. Hey, those, those users that, you know, a lot of us used to call those stupid users. There's, you know, they don't know what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. Well, those stupid users is why you have a paycheck. The yes. stupid users is why you have a career. 
you know? We, you know, ne- so, we never heard that sentence anywhere, yeah. right? So, so how about we change this? How about those, those amazing customers that keep me employed, those people that I'm there to serve, that, that I, you know, that my, that my security program is there to figure out how to protect them and help them do their job. So I have a job. <laughs> it's, you know, you got to go ahead and think about, you know, this whole customer service thing that a lot of us do not. Don't. In, in, in the security field, you don't even think about. You know, you've got to flip that on your head and say, no, 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 no. We're there to serve. We need to understand what they're doing. We need to understand how we fit in the business. And part, and it begins like I said, at the, at, the, at the beginning, you know, you've got to go ahead and be active in the community and start talking with people who are already out there. So, you know, the pitfalls, you know, what things to, to look at to kind of, you know, I mean, I did the same thing when I started, I was talking with a ton of people, you know, mm-hmm. in the community, I was going to a lot of different professional organizations. I was mind mapping, you know, what people were doing with their careers. So I could kind of figure out what, what I wanted to do with mine. I was mind mapping, you know, different certs and you know, and I think, but it's, I made changes along the way, you know, um, you know, I was all into doing networking and stuff. And then I got interested in security that I was doing stuff, new and audit. And then I got interested in forensics and I came back to security and then I was managing teams, network and security. You know, then I got into privacy. I was like, well, this is really cool. You know, I'm just bouncing, <laughs> you know and so, and that's what I'm saying is you got to be flexible and be able to develop those soft skills as you go. But to do that, you do. You have to be active in the community and be working with peers and working with mentors and be ready for that because it's in cybersecurity, you can't be ready. You got to be gumby. You got to be flexible and be able to bend and be able to change because the threats we face change. The technologies mm-hmm. that we're working on today are not going to be here in five years. So they'll be different. And you got to be okay with that. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's really key what you just said. So being flexible, mentoring, and being mentored. So that, that's the same reason why with Tanya Janka, we launched the Mentoring Monday hashtag and that was taken over by a marketing company. So we transformed it to Cyber Mentoring Monday, where we actually match and peer um, people. And I know you are part of the Tinker tribe and uh, it's, it's a beautiful tribe. Uh, I haven't been as active as I should be. <laughs> But I use the hashtag uh, here now and then in the Slack channel. So apologize for not being there. That oh, no worries. No worries. <clears throat> I, I, love, I love those kind of things. And I think we should encourage. And me being, I haven't had a mentor from the very beginning. And I always wanted. So I became what I wanted. Did you always had a mentor from the beginning? How did you search yours for a mentor? Well, I mean, you know, I was in the military. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that happens in the military is the more senior you get, you develop mentors. People step in as mentors or actually get assigned to you, you know, as you become more senior. And then you actually get trained. You know, um, I look at it as more of a servant leadership piece where you get trained to where it's your responsibility to take care of your people. And it's your responsibility to develop and mentor and lead them. And, mm-hmm. and so then when I got out of the military and came into private industry, it was kind of the same thing. And, you know, I had, I had people in the community that I was that I was working with. I mean, one of them was my boss. The guy was a CIO. His name was Palmer Mentor. I mean, Palmer uh, Tasbury. Palmer was a you know awesome guy, Swedish, brilliant, but you know really really down to earth. He was the one that taught me you know hey don't be mad at those users. That's why you got a job. You know? <laughs> and uh, you know he he taught me a lot of the soft skills and a lot of you know how to you know attend meetings and just sit and listen. 
Okay. You know, and how you can learn so much by just listening, not talking, or just listening and watch people and interactions. And there were numerous times where I would go to executive staff meetings with him where he's at the table and I'm just sitting along the wall. And afterwards, we would compare notes and chat. And it was just fascinating. Uh, and it's stuff like that. I mean, you know, the, you know, the whole people aspect, you know, the whole carbon-based life form piece, which is mm-hmm. the hardest part <laughs> thing, you know, that a lot of us network guys have to deal with, you know, is what users are doing and what's going on with people and how they use the technology. But, you know, he, he helped me teach that whole, he basically taught me and helped me see that whole side of the job, you know, and it helped me understand that, you know, in security, you can come and yell and say, you have to do this because the directive says this. But when you get into private industry, they don't have to listen to crap. They don't have to listen yeah. to people at all. <laughs> you, know, you know, and it's like if you expect to go ahead and get things done, you have to develop partnerships. You have to mm-hmm. build trust. You have to be open with what security is doing and why and what the benefits are. And even then, sometimes the business culture snaps back and smacks you upside the head and says, no, you know, this is the way we want to do it here. This is the way we've been doing it for the last 20 years and we're not going to change, you know, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, culture, a non-technical thing, culture is one of the hardest things a lot of us systems have to deal with. And it is, it's a, it's a soft skill that, you know, you start developing early, how you fit not only within the culture of your team, but or your department or within your business, you know, or within the security community itself. And it's something that you develop the more you grow and the more you mature, you know, as, as a security professional. Yeah, and and I think maybe for CISOs or security professional is so hard because especially for CISO, I've seen a refresh. Well, people uh, CISO tend to change every two years on average, two maximum three years. So with the burnout and with uh, you know people changing job, so getting getting used to the uh, a completely new te- uh, culture is sometimes challenging. If you can give the community a positive advice on cybersecurity or any anything you want to close and and leave everybody on, but it needs to be positive because okay. that's that's my my key thing. <laughs> the the one thing I would tell them is now that we're working from home, you know, everyone is you know they got all this security, you know, they get their security awareness training. Hey, I need to I need to protect my passwords or I need to be safe with my email and everything else. Remember, you're at home, okay? So you may be. Uh, doing the correct cyber hygiene stuff, but you're on a home network. What are your teenagers doing? What's your spouse doing? Share. Go ahead and share some of that cyber awareness training you've been getting with them as well because you all are using the same network. So that's one thing I guess I would say from a positive standpoint is share that to them. All of you are safe. And then that way with all of you being safe, I'm safe because you're connected (laughs) to my network. I love that. I love that closure. Gary, it's been an absolute pleasure. I wanted the conversation to keep on going, but no, I don't want to kill our, our I'll, audience. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have to come back. Yes, absolutely. We need to continue because I need to ask you about uh, your passion for Lego and uh, tons of other things that we, <laughs> we share. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, for everybody, for listening. Gary Hesley on the show. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com.